Hello, welcome to Interplay. This is Michael Shapiro, your host. And today I'm with a wonderful person and a pianist. I take person first, and that is <laughs> Gabriela Montero. Gabriela, Hello, you're speak- very good to speak to you. You're in Barcelona right now, I understand, yes? Yes, I have been here since March, since all of this happened, so I'm home. Is is Barcelona your home at this time? It's a 50-50 between here and uh, the U.S. and, of course, the traveling, which takes up about 60% of the year, or did until COVID happened, yeah. The thing that I find remarkable about you and other performers who do many, many concerts, dozens of concerts a year, is that all of you, like me, are home. And we're home for a long period of time. I haven't been this home, H-O-M-E, a casa, a casa, ever. <laughs> I can't remember. So how is that affecting you? Are you working like a demon, or have you found that this has had a different effect on you? Um. I haven't been home for more than, I guess, a month and a half at the most in 20 years. So I, I, it's a, an entirely new feeling. I really needed this time. I have to say I needed this pause. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, how can I say, it's very sad that it, it has come, it has arrived in this way. And that there is, of course, so much uh, suffering in the world with what's happening but for me personally i have to say it was it was um it was a necessary breather that i needed i think uh, one of the pitfalls of the performing life is that you you start to do more and more and more and it's a never-ending cycle of of just uh, um hopping on this fast track train and, and not being able to get off and i and for me it was a it was a wonderful time to spend time with with my daughters and my husband and just to to be able to do normal things. Um, I haven't been working like a demon. And as a, as a matter of fact, I've played very little. When I sit down, I'll sit down every few days and maybe improvise for 10 minutes and then walk away. But it's been a, 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 a wonderful reminder of what it's like to make music only when you want to, not necessarily when it's uh, to fulfill a commitment or to connect to music because you have this crazy schedule. I want to ask you about what you've just spoken about. Mm-hmm. Because the thing that we've encountered here when I met so-called childhood prodigies mm-hmm. is they're too quickly becoming performers right. and then getting into kind of a rote playing, especially in concerti, mm-hmm. and not, yeah. gro- not growing as human beings. I've met many over the years. And then right. I, see, I see them again in their 20s and their 30s. I don't know your background as far as when you started touring and rising to, you know, play in all the great halls. Uh, right. did, did you have a childhood prodigy period and then had to step mm-hmm. back and, and grow as a human being like you are growing right now? That's a good question. I, I yes, I was um, what you would call a child prodigy. I, I was... Uh, I started playing the piano when I was only eight months old. I, I was I, I started to pick out melodies that my mom would sing to me at night to put me to sleep and a little toy piano that my parents gave me for my first Christmas. And um, because they're not musicians and they, they weren't connected to the classical music world at all, I, this came as a very big surprise to them. And 
what they what they noticed was that I, as a little baby, you know, from the age of eight months on, until I was 18 months, I would spend a lot of time uh, at the little piano with the little piano in my crib, uh, playing through all these melodies and trying to to pick out the themes, and also improvising. And um, then then they decided that the best course of action was to take me to the most well-known piano teacher in Caracas at the time, Lil Tiempo. I started lessons with her and started performing when I was five. And at the age of eight, I gave my orchestra premiere uh, debut, sorry, with um, the Haydn D major concerto. So my beginnings were very, very early. They were very, very natural because not coming from a musical family, there was no real ambition or push for me to be you know, the next so-and-so, but rather just to develop my talent and my desire to be close to music and to express who I was. Let's talk about playing the piano, because I'm a pianist. I started right. at a very young age and was in piano mm -hmm. competitions and, and the like before I realized yeah. I could not become Gabriela Montero. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the way you play because you thank sing you. you sing in your fingers you oh have, thank you no but you have breath mm. and you phrase you're not what i would quote call a banger every right. every tone is pressed with the thought of the mm -hmm. sound coming out mm -hmm. which is not every pianist as we know there are athletes let's say who can play piano yeah. and they can do mm -hmm. amazing things but is it the music Right. You, when you were studying, were you studying how to produce sound that is possibly like the voice? I'm just curious. No, I mean, I, this, this is great you're asking me these questions because I, I don't really have many opportunities to really delve into, into that aspect, you know, of, of my life. And you know, for me, piano playing is more of a, um, it's more of a, a, a vehicle to communicate very inner and very personal stories and my desire to reach out to the public com uh, communicates through sound um and in those years that i was you know a prodigy and i was performing and doing competitions and you know i went through the whole circus circuit um i guess the, the fact that my upbringing uh was really devoid of that intention of actually seeing music as as communication as as like you said creating sounds that actually move you um i i began to feel that music didn't really make sense it didn't have any value it was just entertainment i quit when i was 18 i hated music i hated having a musical brain and then I started to really question why I wanted to be a musician, if I wanted to be a musician and follow my nature. And then I think in my 20s, that's when I began to really think about sound. I began to think about how to communicate with the piano in a way that was um, not physical, but maybe even metaphysical. And that's when I began, began to be interested in, in not necessarily imitating the human voice, but trying to speak through my own voice, through my fingers. And, um, and it's been a, a lifelong getting to know the instrument. It's, it's nothing specific I've done. It's, it's not exercises. It's not methods. I don't think I've ever read a book on 
piano technique or, or methodology or anything like that. It was more of a personal desire for it to mean something beyond my ability to do it, but something more. I listened to a lot of your uh, uh, recordings to prepare for this mm -hmm. talk today. And okay. the one I listened to was um, the recording of the Tukincherti just this morning of the Rachmaninoff right. second. Right. Yeah. With uh, Carlos Prieto. Right? Yeah. And uh, the Latin concerto, your piano concerto number one. Mm -hmm. First, the Rachmaninoff. I okay. was. I knew Leopold Stokowski. We met on oh, many wow. occasions. Um, I'm not that old. I was very young. But <laughs> I, 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 I was brought up really on his recording of the uh, Rachmaninoff Second Piano Concerto mm -hmm. with the composer, mm -hmm. which was recorded mm -hmm. with the Philadelphia Orchestra in the late 20s. I, I have that one. It's incredible. Now, you take a very different approach, different, yeah. uh, different tempo, certainly in the first movement. We don't mm -hmm. know also Tempe in the early recording days how accurate they were. Um, yes. And also there's a, the thing with Rachmaninoff is, and also Toscanini, they, they, the Tempe kind of was pushing all the time, a little faster than yes. perhaps it was to record it. It's unclear. But the way you bend the phrase, the way you go places, the way there's development in the music as you perform it, I found it very striking and very warm and very convincing. And I'm a, I'm a nut for Tempe. Otto Klemper used to talk about getting under the notes. Yeah. That there was a specificity, a particularity to a piece mm -hmm. that you had to find. Yes. Yeah. So when do you think of that? When you approach a Schumann... Kinderzainen or a Chopin mazurka uh, or a new yeah. piece or a work of your own. Are you thinking of, it, this is not just playing notes. This got to be something else, the wider image. What, what, oh, comes, what goes, what goes through your mind? Um, when I sit down to learn something, um, I, 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 I guess you could say I'm a very fast learner, but I, I'm less of a fast learner now than I was when I was younger. And I, I don't think it has so much to do with memory. It has to do more with how much I want to dig out of the score now that I'm older. Um, so it takes me a bit of time to actually feel that I've really um, gotten to know a piece and that I, that I really want to, you know, uh, share it with the public. When in, in, there is a moment when... Uh, you're you're learning a piece or you're performing you're playing a piece at home where you somehow crack the code mm. it makes sense it's it's absolutely true it's absolutely uh authentic there's nothing there's nothing that is um uh, coerced in the music there's nothing that is uh, not real that is uh you know, you have to avoid, I, I, I hate mannerisms, I hate trivialities, you know, I don't like to do anything in music just for the sake of impressing or, or, or leaving my own stamp. For me, it's all about trying to find that language in a piece of music that just speaks truth. And it, it's, it can take decades, it can take years, it can take minutes. It depends on the composer, it depends yeah. on you, it depends on everything. It, this is so true. I can't conduct yeah. a piece, whether it's my own 
or it's some other composer without thinking, what were they doing? And you have a special gift. You're also a composer. Um, I was just on, I had a wonderful interplay in, from Chappaqua, New York to London with Norman Lebrecht, a critic, and, we mm -hmm. were, and the writer, and we were talking about performers. And he okay. said something that was quite interesting. He said that the, it's not true of everyone, but the great ones, as he put mm -hmm. it, think of other things meaning they think mm. of the world, they think yes. of people, they think of the earth, they think of, mm -hmm. in your case, human rights. So mm. I know you're more than just human rights oriented. <laughs> I yeah. can see that in your face and I can hear it in the music. You're a, yeah. a mother, you're a wife, you're a mm -hmm. daughter, <laughs> you're yeah. a cousin, you're a person. And yeah. being, being, yeah. So mm -hmm. I ask you, when you're playing a piece of Schumann, right. do you think of what Schumann may have gone through when he was writing it? You know, do meine Seele, do mein Herz, when, you know, mm -hmm. Liszt, takes, Liszt takes that great song and makes it into a Listian mess in my book. You know, but when you're doing that song or if you're doing four hands, I know you play with Marta Agarich sometimes. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're doing something, whatever it is, are you thinking of the origin of that piece and the what was that composer going through at that very moment? Does that cross your mind or is it just an abstract event? I don't think no, it is with you. Definitely. And, and I mean, I, I went through a period of my life when I, I was very interested in psychology and I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I, I would have actually gone through the process of, of studying psychology at university, but I, I definitely played around with the idea because I, it, it was, it was something that not only interested me, but also a way that I thought I could be helpful to people and I could contribute. Um, so for me, the emotional, um, baggage in a piece and the emotional story, uh, which relates to humanity, uh, across time, these, these are all experiences and, joys and sorrows that every human being has in one way or another lived I, I i of course connect to that and i and i think about it and i try to inhabit that world when i am playing a piece as much as i can and perhaps that's an advantage of having lived a lot and <laughs> having experienced a lot you can you can draw from this well of experience and um that's something that is more and more and more present in me and, and how I connect to the music that I'm playing, even though it's not my music, but somebody else's. So I'd like to talk to you about your piece, Patria. Is, it, is that the name? Expatria, actually, which means uh, oh. without a home. We have the word expatriate. Yes. Without a home. Yes. You know, the idea of being without a home is nothing new to this person, my mother, as an infant, was carried out of um, Tsarist Russia, which was becoming communist in 1919, 20, mm -hmm. with the fear by my grandparents that they would be destroyed by the Cossacks, the Whites, the Reds, who knows what. Wow. So, but they gathered themselves in America in 1920, as my paternal grandparents did much earlier and found a home here. However, mm. however, I understand the expatria concept 
yes. very deeply. Um, I'm a United States citizen, but I have mm -hmm. relatives in Europe and Mexico. I have a large Mexican uh, 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 All right. coterie yeah, in Mexico City. Wow. And, uh, of course, in Israel. But patria is sometimes something that's very important because that's where family is. That's mm -hmm. where our experiences yeah. are. When you th yes. th think about your life and mm -hmm. the fact that Venezuela is expatria to you now, yeah. how mm -hmm. did that how did that find its way into the music? Well, it's um, actually just around this time. It's been ten years since I was in Venezuela, since I visited home for the last time. Um, it has marked everything I do everything I speak about, everything I am, everything I create. It's uh, the development of the collapse of my country in the last 20 years has uh, impacted every aspect of my life and my family's life. Um, and of course, I, I, I can't help but think that it's influenced the way that I play. My, my playing has become, I think, much rawer, much much more raw and much more... Um, again, connected to that emotional well and uh, storytelling that uh, I always refer to. And um, it's a device that for me uh, has been very, very useful in telling the story of Venezuela. And it's also been um, a way to, a way in, that, in which my pianism has, I think, uh, evolved because in order to tell the story, I've had to become a much more communicative pianist. So it kind of all comes full circle. And uh, I wish it wasn't so. I wish that none of this would have happened. But uh, but the reality is that that it is what we have to deal with. And and in my case, I've just been very very clear about the need to speak about it and the need to denounce and the need to get involved and not look the other way. Correct. Yeah. Listen, I wish I had 75 Polish Jewish relatives who were killed in Treblinka. It's... I don't. I wish... We don't learn. Mm -hmm. No, we don't learn. And, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement is so valuable for the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's a continuation yeah. of what we what was started by my cousins with the movement in the 60s with Dr. King. This is nothing new. But right. we must per persevere because the truth is there in human rights. Yeah, and uh, we, we have to discern and we have to learn to scratch the surface and, and yep. learn what stands for what, who stands for what, yes. and not become you know, enamored because it belongs to one party or the other. It's about, it's about across the board, human lives and human rights and the impacts of politics on, on lives. You're a mother of two two mm -hmm. daughter, two daughters, I think. Yes. 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 I'm a father of four children and two grandchildren. Wow. We say thank oh, God. <laughs> Grazie Dio. So, but but the question there is, mm -hmm. the world that we create now, in yeah. my mind, must be healed. There's yeah. a healing process that we must go through. Right. And, I f and I find in your playing the role in a musician, a composer, pianist, improv 
improviser, I suppose the word is. Yeah, yeah. Is a healing process apart from the beauty because we give beauty to heal, I think. Let's talk about um, the Latin concerto, your piano concerto. Okay. I can understand Ex Patria, which is a very dynamic work. But let's talk about the Latin concerto, because as you as you know, we both kind I think we both wrote piano concerti around the same time. Tell us mm-hmm. about the uh, the birth and development of the piano concerto number one Latin by Gabriela Montero. Well, Expatria was about Venezuela. It was specifically about portraying the violence, the corruption the usurpation of a whole country, mm-hmm. an economy, a people, everything. The Latin concerto, which came five years later, uh, in 2016 I wrote it, it's, it's an entirely different animal because I, it, it's not a piece that's meant to provoke, it's not, I mean, it's not a piece that's meant to inform or to awaken the audience into the Venezuelan reality, but rather it's a piece that looks to show the colors and the harmonies and the sensuality and the exotic nature of Latin America that everybody loves and connects to. You know, people think of Latin America, they think of um, fun music and a mojito in your hand. (laughs) And that is part of who we are. But on the other side, there are also many, many shadows and many, many elements about our nature and about the way that we Um, fall into certain traps that I think um, sabotage everything that we are and our development and our potential. So it's a piece that's a very, it's a very fun, it's a very vibrant piece, but at the same time, it's also, it also has its shadows. I'm curious about your improvisation and the Mm. effect, the effect on composition. I have regards, I have regards to you, but from a friend in common, Dennis Bushmitch, who's a, a, a yes. dear friend, and, and somebody who is very interested in improvisation and in composition and the, the comparison mm-hmm. and how they work with each other. He's asked the question, when you improvise, right. he said, do you get goosebumps? But I really think, do you get kind of a floating feeling mm-hmm. in the improvisation? And is improvisation something you've done for many years? Because it sounds very accomplished. It's uh, the, that is a multi-layered question because I've always improvised since I was little. I I I just that's the first thing I would do when I would sit at the piano. And right. when I hear recordings of my improvisations when I was six, seven, and eight years old, um, I'm really I'm always surprised because I was improvising in musical idioms that I had never heard. Like it. it some of the improvisations you you know would sound like they belonged in Prokofiev's world or in Stravinsky's world or in Hinastera's world, and and those were composers that I had never ever been in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's um, it's it's always been a, a very natural um, relationship with the piano. I I thought everybody improvised, and it's it's kind of it's always been the best way for me to tell stories and to connect to this flow and and like uh, well like i've also spoken to dennis about actually and to everybody who asked me it's not something that i'm conscious of it's not something i've ever prepared i don't Mm -hmm. think you can prepare improvisation because then it's not improvised if it's improvised it has to come from nothing and that's the way that i live it coming from Um, nothing 
let's coming talk about from... yeah. yeah let's talk about yeah. composition though for mm -hmm. somebody who has been a somebody who is has great talent at improvisation mm -hmm. when you started to have to write notes for right. example these these mature pieces the expatrio right. or the piano concerto did you find it's a different process or is it coming from the same place it's coming from the same place um i i suppose the best explanation is that you cannot deny who you are you can't uh, be something else mm -hmm. and in my case it's it's all improvisatory so when i compose it's it's very much the same thing except that I can edit, I can change, I can change my mind, I can, um, you know, assess. But usually I'm a very visceral composer. So when I'm composing, I know exactly how it has to be. And I also know what I don't want. So if I, if I improvise a segment and I don't like it, I just discard it. I, 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 I'm very honest with, uh, with, with everything, but even with myself, you know, when it comes to what I think is, is, you know, is material that I like or that I don't. And it's really in my gut. I can feel it there. Did you study composition? as well? I know you studied piano, but no composition no. studies. Interesting. No, and I, I never studied harmony or theory or solfege or, or even any of the basic, um, you know, uh, theory, um, musical uh, subjects. I, 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 I rebelled. I, I said, I can't. I can't, it, it doesn't mean any, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, your orchestration works, by the way. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that. They, they seem to enjoy it. I've had very few musicians come to me and say, oh, this is unplayable. But I, I, I really want to write music for people to enjoy. Yes, I to enjoy performing it as well. Yeah. And quite clearly and get it across. Um, exactly. The last bit of discussion, I'm yeah. very curious about where are you going to go from here? Now, obviously, this pause has mm -hmm. given us all time to think mm -hmm. and to gather, and it yeah. sounds like it sounds like you're thinking and you're gathering. So, yes, exactly. Where are you going to take this? What do you think when when the lights come on again all over the world? What what, what are you going to do? Well, I, I I don't want to be a pessimist, but I do think that the world is changed and will be forever changed. Um, I think we'll have to learn to adapt to a very different reality. Um, and for me, this is a calling to actually start to create more, to have more time to compose and to, to realize projects that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to write you know, a series of piano sonatas, maybe another concerto, maybe a two piano repertoire that I'd love to play with friends. Um, maybe a cello sonata to play with Gautier. So I, I'm, I'm feeling much more inclined to doing creative um, projects right now that involve, you know, my works and composing than actually learning repertoire. So I, I, it's interesting because I, at the beginning of this, I thought, okay, I'm going to learn all the tableau. I'm going to learn. I had a list. And then I realized know that I actually had to switch off and that I just wanted to create. So that, that I think is going to be the way that I will go. I'd also love to teach, actually. I love to teach. And I haven't done much teaching except for master classes. And I'd love to be able to um, connect with the younger artists in that way and, and leave them something, give them something. 
Well, giving something to people is what Gabriela Montero does. And thank you so much for being part of Interplay. This is Michael Shapiro, your host. Thank you, Gabriela. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.